You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. This is Adam Griffin. I'm filling in this week for Josh Patterson. Today, we're going to be discussing the season of Lent. Today, I'm joined by several individuals from our staff here at the Village. We've got Adam Hawkins. He's the spiritual formation pastor at the Plano campus. I'm also joined by the Jonathan Woodleaf, groups minister from Dallas, Texas. And over here is Cassie Bryant. Cassie Bryant is our elementary minister in Dallas. Like I said, today we're going to be talking about Lent. So let's just start by saying this. I I grew up in a religious tradition that actually practiced Lent. This was an annual thing for me. It was not odd to me because it was something I had my entire life. There was uh, church was different. We talked about giving things up every year. We decorated differently. But I know for a lot of us, maybe even in this room or certainly some people listening, maybe they didn't grow up in a church that did anything different for Lent or doesn't even know what Lent is. Now, they might be familiar with Advent or other aspects of that. So let's just start by explaining, like, what what are the foundations of Lent? What is Lent? Can Jonathan, maybe you can just tell us, what is Lent? What is that? Yeah, sure. So, I think it's helpful to think about just the root, like the word itself means spring. And, and so for most of us, maybe not in Dallas, Texas, we don't really have much of a winter or a spring at times. But for most of us, spring means the time when the, the brightness of the day begins to lengthen and all, all around us, like newness is coming in life. Winter's ending, um, days are longer, and newness is on the way. And so I think that's helpful just foundationally. Um, historically for the church, what it's looked like, where where it might um, have been practiced in different ways, um, it's always involved a season of, of fasting, of prayer, and of giving. So I think about it with like school system. Um, some schools are on spring break right now here in Dallas. Some schools were on spring break last week. Like there might be a different rhythm or calendar, but the substance of the curriculum per se is the same. So Okay, great. So Lent, meaning spring, that makes a lot of sense because Lent is that season that leads up to Easter, right? So it's that uh, it starts with Ash Wednesday and it leads up to Easter. Now, Lent, I've heard it described as, what is it, Jonathan, a bright sadness, a sad brightness? What is yeah, it? Yeah, a bright sadness. So bright sadness. For, uh, for a lot of our like Eastern brothers and sisters, like they've historically carried that name. And I think like to me, it's the most beautiful image um, ever that I've heard for Lent and even for the gospel it's, it's, itself. And so uh, what they're getting at is that there's this deep sorrow and sadness because um, the focus of Lent isn't um, namely just us. We're part of it, but it, it's the suffering and death of Jesus. So there's this deep sorrow because of that, but there's also, and, and because of our own sin, as we're um, becoming acquainted with with our brokenness, not just the brokenness out there, but the brokenness in here and our own hearts. But then there's also this brightness. And so I think that's, that's so helpful um, that, that we're saying we can't uh, disconnect or detach our sorrows and sadness from the bright resurrecting hope of God. And because we're on the way to Easter, the days are getting longer, the days are getting brighter. We're carrying both a sorrow and a brightness, a bright sadness. Man, that's so, so good. I think about... When I think about Lent, I mean, one, I think about kind of the traditions and the rituals growing up, which we'll get into the rituals here in a minute and, man, how helpful those are or are not. But I also think a lot about what Christ was actually going through in that process as he approached Easter. And what's helpful about the season of Lent is trying to get my heart in that place, right? That's where I grew up um, understanding the approach to Easter, but now as a full-grown adult reading the Bible, and I see as Christ approaches the cross, we see him explaining to the people around him that he's going to die and the people around him totally not understanding it. Like time after time, uh, he tells his disciples, I'm going to die. And their response is, yeah, but which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They just don't get it. So this is, I think of letters this really cool opportunity we have now to, in retrospect, understand something those who were there that could have been a greater comfort to Christ did not understand that now we can look and say, okay, so how do I get my heart right? How do I 
serve in a way? How do I sacrifice in a way that helps me get in touch with uh, my Christian roots? Yeah, my my ritual, like uh, whatever, but really brings to life uh, the scripture that says like I'm preparing myself the way maybe Christ looked towards something dark. I'm going to look at his sacrifice and say how can I – how can I understand that? So some of you guys uh, have probably heard of a Lenten practice of giving things up. Uh, maybe you're giving something up for Lent or somebody else is giving something up for Lent. But Cassie, have you heard that? You- yeah. In previous years, I've we definitely have practiced the, um, I guess, the practice of giving something up. And whether that's food or um, actually one year, my, my favorite thing that I've done was giving up um, like the choice of, uh, I guess, fashion. It was like fast fashion or like – and so I wore – I literally wore a white T-shirt and pair of jeans every day for 40 days. Um, And uh, it was the – one of the hardest things I've ever done and I gave that up. And it was was just like giving up the choice of something and it made me think all throughout the day. It was the practice of giving something up that pushed me often of thinking of Christ and the suffering. Not in any ways that suffering like Christ did but – that's unique. Adam, have you ever given up maybe fashion, something like that for Lent? <laughs> I uh, have always given up fashion. <laughs> this is an ongoing Lent this for you? This is an ongoing Lent for me. <laughs> here's, what, here's what struck me. Um, you know, I grew up in a tradition where we, we didn't re- even talk about Lent, to be honest with you. Um, and so coming into contact with it at first, what was really beautiful uh, to learn about it is that Christians don't practice abstinence from things just for the sake of abstinence, meaning uh, just giving up chocolate so that 40 days later you can sort of pack yourself on the back or just say, I sacrifice something. That's not the point, right? Um, and so uh, to, to experience sacrifice so that we can do exactly what Cassie said, sort of recall – what um, recall what's most important in our lives, so that we can we practice laying things down, so that we can see our need for Christ. Uh, and I never, I never got to sort of practice with my life. I guess I would say I never got to practice with my life this this um, um, way to worship. And so I do think um, if you're out there and, and you're like me and you grew up in a tr- tradition where you never really had to interact with Lent or the church calendar. Um, uh, I understand. I can say I understand why you might be skeptical of of something like Lent. Um, why would I do this? What's what's the point? And I would just say uh, the point is really, truly, the point is to um, is to see Christ more clearly and to be able to practice with your whole life worshiping God, understanding your need for God. So yeah, uh, I love to practice Lent now. Um, I I absolutely uh, this this year I'm I'm uh, fasting. Uh, um, you know, intermittently giving up uh, food on, on uh, throughout the week um, in the morning times, and so uh, it's it's been really beautiful. Yeah, that's really great insight in terms of motive for what to like why to give up something. Because I think I also did not grow up practicing Lent, and so when I first was introduced to it, I felt like it was just a second chance to kind of um, re up on my New Year's resolutions. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. which is not a right motive that's right. or the right practice and the purpose of why we observe it as a church. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, like, I hear people giving stuff up to your point, And it seems like a lot of what I hear Christians giving up are things that they shouldn't be doing in the first place, or maybe like <laughs> vices, like, hey, I'm going to give up not going to the gym, or I'm going to give up chocolate, or I'm going to give up soda. And like you're saying, maybe that's not exactly, maybe, maybe there's um, some missing of the point there. So if that's my only familiarity with Lent, I could totally understand why somebody would go, Lent just doesn't seem like there's a real 
deep rooted. We should do this. It seems, I know that I've heard from people, they think Lent is kind of this empty ritual that says, man, this is just something churches do. I know a lot of my Catholic friends growing up, they, they had fish on Fridays and not meat during the week. But at the same time, these people were not a godly people. They weren't following the Lord. It was just what they did for that season. And now I see even around me, maybe the only familiarity is, hey, what do you want to give up? And of course I want to give up stuff that's not good for me. But what you're saying is that's not really Lent. So tell me this, why, why Lent then? Why is Lent important? Jonathan, what do you think? Is Lent important? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's important uh, for a number of reasons. Um, I think I think one thing to what Adam said that's helpful to draw back and think about, and myself as well, I, I didn't draw, grow up in that type of um, environment. I, I hadn't heard about it, honestly, until probably, this is crazy, probably about, about six or seven years ago, maybe the first time I even heard about the idea of Lent. But I mean, it's important because this is the way the church has discipled believers to be reminded of the, the way we follow Jesus and the way we look more like Jesus for centuries. And so I think when there's anything that's been in play historically for thousands of years and that's in play globally, like it does us well to think about why has that been so important to the people of God? I mean, just a quick aside, um, when you begin to research it, you begin to realize that it was at the Council of Nicaea in 325 um, where not only did we um, like go against heresy and talk about Jesus being fully God, fully man, but also at that council, they recommended the practice of Lent. Now, there's some debate about who exactly that was for, whether it was new converts or everyone, but that's crazy to think about. Theologically, most of us, we hammer that theology, rightfully so, but we don't really take the pastoral advice to heart. So I think that's interesting and worth thinking about. That's great. So why? So if Lent is important, and I agree, it's it's not essential that like, hey, if you're not practicing Lent, then you're yeah. not a real Christian church. And if you're a yeah. pastor out there who's not doing this, then this is a problem. But I do think there's value to it. There's mm-hmm. value to saying, hey, let's get our hearts right for Easter. Let's look at the season. But what? why do you think Lent gets a bad rap? Why is there a sense in maybe less traditional churches or um, non-denominational churches that Lent would not be something you'd want to do? Yeah. So – I think for two reasons. One is because people don't understand it, uh, and that may sound like an arrogant answer, but it's really not. I I do think people are disconnected from uh, the history of the church and the pastoral history of the church, right? Not just sort of like the facts, but how have Christians throughout the centuries been formed and shaped, and how have pastors throughout the centuries and millennia really um, counseled and and pressed their people, right? Uh, the other part, I guess I would say too, uh, so there's this, there's this ahistorical side of it. Uh, people don't understand it. Uh, but then um, there was a reality that uh, for a long time, um, what happened was is people sort of lost the the reason behind why they did certain practices. And so it did in many instances sort of become what you were talking about earlier. Oh, we just give something up to give something up or we're just doing this because everybody around us is doing it, sort of divorcing it from its uh, the reasons behind why people do land. And so if I could answer the previous question about why it's important, um, just to echo Jonathan a little bit, it's, it's – man, um, the Bible understands that people are shaped and formed by more than just what they read, right? Uh, meaning the Bible describes a man's heart uh, as being the seat of uh, his mind, will, and emotions, right? And so um, the Bible understands that the way that human beings are shaped and formed is by more than just engaging the mind or just engaging the emotions or just engaging the loves. And so Lent, right, uh, is a way to practice. Again, I go back to what I said earlier. Lent is a way to practice with our whole selves, um, um, really uh, – 
worship, I would say one, but two, like if you look at the Lenten tradition, um, it, it echoes certain themes that we see throughout the Bible. One would be things like exile. So when you look back to Exodus, um, you see that um, the Israelites were wandering in the desert for a generation, right? right. Um, and so it's a reminder that we are elect exiles here on earth. Also, you see Jesus, um, uh, before he starts his ministry, he uh, pulls back to the desert for 40 days where he's tempted by the devil. It's a way for us in some sense to um, not experience that with him, but sort of walk in his shoes in some sense, uh, which allows us to see Christ more clearly, right? That's great. Um, yeah. Well, I think, uh, one, bonus point for bringing up Exodus, current series of the Village Church. Adam, I'm sure that's what you're aiming for. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, two, uh, one other thing I'd like to add to that, Adam, I think that's exactly right. You're always so much smarter and more articulate than anything I have to say, so I appreciate your insights. That's true. Yes, thank you for verifying <laughs> that. I'm actually giving up on self-deprecating humor for Lent, so I, I mean every part of this. Uh, so one other thing I've run into a lot. I have uh, spent some time uh, in a tradition that practiced Lent, like I said, but I also have met a lot of people that grew up in denominations that felt they felt really burned by them. And a lot of things that they associate with those denominations feel to them like going back to something that burned them. So mm-hmm. there's a bit of a feel like I escaped kind of the Catholic church I grew up in or I escaped the Episcopal church I grew up in. Why, why would my now Baptist church or my non-denominational church go back and re uh, kind of encumber me with uh, these ideas of Lent? And I've seen that and I, I hope um, – I hope people at the church that we're at now, the village, would really see the beautiful practice of Lent, not the empty ritual of it and not a uh, kind of a burden to be borne, but rather this idea of like pointing towards Christ. And then secondly, that's kind of why I'd like fasting as such an interesting aspect of Lent. I'd love for us to talk a little bit about like what – like I know what I think, but I honestly want to know like why do you fast from something and then what – like, what, how does that bring you closer to the Lord, whether it's for Lent or anything? Like, why give something up, and what do you do with that? What does the practice look like? Yeah, so I think we give stuff up, right, to remember—it's a constant reminder. So, like, what Adam just said and what I was talking about with the previous fast. But if we're giving up food or um, I had a friend once that gave up sleep, and so they woke up—not altogether, but they woke up, like, three hours earlier every morning of Lent. Um, and so it's just something super intentional, something that's pointing your life towards the life of Christ um, and remembering kind of what he came for and what the road that he walked up to the cross and— um, and so I, I think that's the why. Um, hopefully that's the why. And it's grace-filled. So coming back to what you're saying about at the Village Church, I feel like what we do isn't just about ritual, but it's so filled with grace so that it's not like we have to do it. We're not telling our members and we're not telling people like, you know, every Christian should be doing this, but it's this is something that should be pointing you to the cross. And um, if it's taught right and if it's um, – yeah, sorry. No, that's great. I, I want to talk about one more thing there and I want to talk about like how do we kind of make the most of the season while we have it. But Jonathan, one of the things that I just love about you, you is you have this really well-formed theology of suffering. You have this uh, – like if, if somebody asked me, hey, give me a guy I can talk to about theology of suffering, I would point them to you. I'd give them your phone number. I'd email you and say, Jonathan, this is where I'm at. I want to understand what the Lord means in this. Can you help us see like how a theology of suffering or healthy theology of suffering and maybe fasting, sacrifice, and these things kind of go hand in hand with a really robust understanding of Lent and leading up to Good Friday and Easter? Yeah, I'll try my best. So I think, um, I mean, just having, for those out there, having said, like, sometimes this isn't the most helpful thing in that moment of suffering is for someone on a podcast show just to start telling you all the things you need to believe and what you <laughs> what you should think about. But I mean, 
again, to go back to that image of the bright sadness, I, mean, I think it, it's beautiful. I mean, that's that's not just the season of Lent, but that's that's a good um, summary of the gospel. I think that we're seeing yeah. um, um, we're seeing the the horrifying nature of our own sin. We're seeing our brokenness, but yet it's not never detached from the bright resurrecting hope of the Son of God. And so, when those things pair together, um, I mean, it. it Again, like Adam said, going back to the why, which is so important. I mean, we're 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 setting our gaze on Jesus, just like he did on his road uh, to the cross, where Isaiah fifty two just talks about that his face was set like flint towards that moment. And so, when when our gaze is set on him, and we begin to realize that we have a sympathetic high priest that knows what it's like to be us, that yeah. um, his cross was temporary, so our cross is going to be temporary too. Um, I mean, the, the, when those truths, and we could just go on for an entire podcast, but when those truths start to hit the heart and soul and Jesus becomes beautiful, um, you realize that, I mean, you have a savior that, that knows, and he didn't, he didn't just know, like it's the only account of a God who comes and suffers for the people with the people so that not only we not endure eternal suffering, but I mean, he gives us a, he gives us a way to suffer well. And so, I mean, those are, those are a few thoughts, but I think, um, I think that's what's happening in this season. It's just an opportunity for the Christian to set their gaze on the crucified Savior um, and to, to to latch onto His sufferings, uh, namely, and then to know that in the midst of that, there's comfort in the midst of our own. So that's great. Um, I think too, it's just the idea of changing habit, right? So like we are we're we're people of habits, and so when we're giving something up, it's usually something that is habitual or something that we love, and then it's redirecting our thoughts and redirecting our affections to the God, like to God and to the gospel. Um, and so when we cut out something um, that is either a bad habit or if if it's not a bad habit, it's just something that we love, then we're constantly redirecting our thoughts. And then after forty days, hopefully that has made a mark on our life that sticks for the rest of the year. Man, that's great. That's really good. So I want to, let's turn the corner. Let's talk about like how to do Lent really well. Like what, what are some resources that we have? What are some things we can do? But before we get there, I'd love to talk about, are there any other things that, we've, that um, specifically wrong ways to approach Lent? I think we touched on a little bit, the empty ritual idea of like, I'm just doing this because this is what our church does at this season or giving up something that I should have never been doing in the first place. But what is, what are some ways that we can say, hey, this is not the way we're asking you to approach Lent. Cassie, what do you think? I think uh, choosing to give something up that would benefit myself. And so kind of the idea of like a diet or like I'm going to give this up and maybe I'll shed a few pounds in 40 days. Or, you know, and then the motive then is really more self-focused um, than it is um, God-focused. And then I think also giving something up to please others um, or to appear maybe that we're in a better place than we are. Um, and then we end up more like the Pharisees on the corner mm-hmm. fasting and talking about our fast and making much of ourselves and not making much of Christ, which is the point. That's great. Anybody else? Yeah, I mean, I think the the self-righteousness thing that Cassie's hitting on is one of the main obstacles people feel and one of, I think, our main hindrances at all in, in any type of fast. You know, Jesus is warning about that all throughout the scriptures, about the way you fast. There's the there's the parable of the one man who um, is just saying, hey, look at me. I fast twice a week. And other guys yeah. being is just saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So I think we need to be aware of that. Be aware of the fact that we could start to do Lent to gain acceptance versus from acceptance that we already have in Christ. Man, that's um, so good. So uh, – a couple of things I would say there there are some 
some uh, services we've added. We've added Good Friday services to the Village Church, which we didn't used to do, and a lot of churches out there have always done them, and then some have never done them. And it's an it's an interesting addition for us. It's a big part of Lent to do Good Friday service. And some of the pushback I've heard against Good Friday and Ash Wednesday, which we don't do an Ash Wednesday service at the Village Church, but honestly, I would love it Yet. if one day we do. <laughs> yeah, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. I'll hear people say, "I don't want to go to Ash Wednesday or Good Friday because it's so depressing and it's so hard." And I'm like, "Yeah." And, Part of me is just like itching for them to understand it's supposed to be not depressing, but it is supposed to be a different feeling. In an age where churches are so much like happy pappy, hey, let's just make people feel good to be reminded that the Bible is not all about this kind of um, uh, just make people feel good. Hey, pump you up. Jesus is all about you. But I love like how is Lent supposed to be spiritual formation for us? How is it? How is Ash Wednesday and Good Friday this piece of the gospel like Jonathan's talking about? And how do we? How do we use it in the overall development as Christians? I just want to know what happy pappy is. That's exactly what I want to <laughs> Man, it's a, it's a um, prosperity gospel book I'm working on. Yeah, that's good. Mm. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Uh, really helpful insight there. Uh, no, I do think – so if I'm going to answer my own question here, I think that Good Friday, honestly, at the Village Church, is such an important aspect of, of getting my heart ready for Easter. Like I – I'll tell you, here, here's maybe a good example. When Passion of the Christ comes out as a movie, like nobody wants to see that movie in a sense, right? Like nobody wants to go see Christ tortured, brutally murdered, crucified. But part of you knows like another part of you really does want to see it. You want to experience it. You want to understand it. You want to go there. And so Good Friday and Lent in general, Ash Wednesday as part of it, is part of this like nobody wants to sacrifice. That's the point of why we do it. Nobody wants to go to a dark, dimly lit service and and talk about how hard this suffering was. And yet part of us needs to want to do that, to understand this, uh, like you said, this high priest idea, to understand more of who Christ is, those kind of things. But yeah, uh, that's where that's why I love Lent. Honestly, I know that there's not an aspect of it uh, that is like all encompassing. Like everything about this is um, not happy, happy, but super beautiful. Yeah, uh, but it is beautiful. Adam, let me ask. It might be helpful because uh, we haven't really talked about it, but it might be helpful to understand how Lent ties into the greater sort of church calendar. Even just focusing on the idea of Easter, how Lent builds to that, what Good Friday is really about, what Ash Wednesday is really about, and then how it builds to Easter and Holy Week. I'd, I'd love to hear somebody comment on that. Well, I was. I, I'm. I think it's about entering into the sadness of what happened. And then the more you let yourself enter into that and the suffering of Christ, then the greater the rejoicing that you get to do on Easter Sunday is the undoing of that sadness in his resurrection. So good. Yeah. So there are a couple things I want to point us to as we kind of close out our time, our ways of making the most of land. And maybe there's something you guys have read or something you guys have brought to this. But I do want to point to TV resource, tvcresources.net. We have our Lent guide up there, which is a fantastic way to go through Lent to see uh, some scriptures that point this out. That like Cassie said, what, what Good Friday does and what Lent does is help you understand how Easter is an undoing of so many uh, horrible things, so many historically horrible things. But Cassie, I know for you particular, what I admire about you and the way that you guys lead your home, you and your husband, Eric, is the way that you bring your children into seasons like this. Would you be able to help us just a little bit? Like, what do you do with your kids or what do you do personally as you're going through Lent? Yeah. So personally, uh, one of my favorite resources is um, called Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross. And it's um, a collection of writings by pastors and theologians from all over, all, like from 
hundreds of years ago. So Martin Luther, all the way up to John Piper. Um, and every chapter I, I cry through, it's entering into that sadness for me. And then for our family, this year we're doing the She Reads Truth, the Cards for Kids. And it's a helpful resource. So we're looking at the prophecies in Isaiah and then how they're fulfilled in Christ um, in his death and resurrection. Yeah, I can jump in on one that's been helpful for me. Um, there's a guy by the name of Aaron Demania, and um, and he wrote a book called The Good of Giving Up, and that's been helpful for me. It's difficult to find resources, uh, especially uh, with Protestant background, but that's been a huge help for me. Another one for families maybe with older kids is um, called Mission Accomplished, and it's a 40-day devotional, and they have crafts and questions, um, and it's really great for elementary age, and it's put out by New Growth Press. I'm so glad, honestly, uh, to have people like you, Cassie, in our church that are intentionally initiating things like this with your kids that I feel like even for me, I'm going, how do I really get my heart behind Lent? And you're leading it in your home in a way that's admirable. And then Jonathan, like I said, man, I'm so glad for what you bring to the table and just your theologically well-formed thoughts on this. Uh, I hope that we've made really clear like why, what Lent is, but also why we do it and what we can do with this going forward. One thing that uh, I just want to reiterate is I think um, it can be sort of intimidating to think through exactly how you're supposed to fast if you've never fasted before. Um, and 40 days is, is, is a long time. It really is. And I think recognizing that um, can be helpful. So I would just say this. You don't have to necessarily try to think of something to lay down for 40 days. Um, there's all different ways that we can practice Lent and do it faithfully. Um, and so here, here's what I would say. You can go week by week. You can do things like um, maybe fast from food for a week. Maybe say, I'm going to wake up an hour early for a week and just pray during that time. Um, you can maybe give up coffee. But here's here's the point. In, in those fasts, again, I just want to go back to, I think what's really important is maybe to try to identify things you find comfort in and sort of sacrifice those things to poke at maybe different idols of comfort and see how... Um, in laying down your coping mechanisms, Jesus is enough. So that's what I think. So it, I think it should take a little bit of, of reflection and then think of some things you can lay down for shorter periods of time. So I think that might be something that's helpful. Yeah, that's really good. And I think the only other thing I was thinking of is just to to empathize with those out there that do feel like, man, why would I do something that depressing or like that yeah. sad? Uh, there are a lot of people that associate the church at times with, man, I, I just go there and I just feel worse about myself or. Um, and so I think about it to, to make a turn like the movie Inside Out, like just the stigma that that character's sadness has and the stigma that our, our culture gets with sadness. But yet you can't um, – I think everyone's already seen the movie, so I'm not giving away any punchlines. But you can't, you can't disconnect sadness from joy. You can't detach those. You can't separate those in that movie. And same for this, just that thought of, man, it's, it's in our very sorrows where we're met with, uh, with the goodness and light and joy of Christ. O Lord and Master of my life, take from me the spirit of sloth, faint-heartedness, lust of power, and idle talk. But give me rather the spirit of chastity, humility, patience, and love to my servant. Yea, O Lord and King, grant me to see my own errors and not to judge my brother. For thou art blessed unto ages of ages. Amen. If there's anything you heard us talking about today and you'd like to know more, you can find details in our show notes. 
For other resources like sermons, articles, music, curriculum, you can visit tvcresources.net. On our next episode, we're going to have Dr. Russell Moore with us to discuss virtual reality and artificial intelligence and how Christians should begin to interact with these things. So we'll see you next time, and God bless.